Good morning, Journey. How are you doing today? It is good to have you in the room, in the house today. It's great to have everybody who is online with us this morning. I know, again, we're still kind of in this weird stage, uh, but just being able to be together no matter where we are is just uh, an amazing thing for me, and I hope for you too. Uh, in my pocket, I have a $20 bill. And right now, you're trying to figure out, is that true or not, right? <clears throat> now, some of you, you, uh, you have faith in me, and, um, and maybe we have a relationship. You know me, you trust me, hopefully my, my character holds up. And so when I say I have a $20 bill in my pocket, you're like, okay, I, I, can, I can go with that. Even though I'm not sure, not certain, I'll go with that. And there's others of you, you doubt me. You, you have doubts that when I said I have $20 in my pocket, that I actually do. Maybe it's because we don't have a relationship. Uh, maybe you think I'm just kidding around. Maybe you don't like me, and so you don't want to believe me. I mean, whatever the case may be. But, but either you fall on one side or the other. You have faith in me that that's true, or you don't have faith in me, okay? And in this moment, when I say those words, I have a $20 bill in my pocket, you're making a judgment about me. Now, the question is, do I? I mean, do I actually have a $20 bill in my pocket? So let's see if this is true or not. Well, that pocket is empty, so it's not there. It's, oh, I thought this shirt had a pocket. It doesn't. And voila, there it is, $20 bill in my pocket. A magic show on Sunday morning here for you, okay? $20 bill that I borrowed from one of my kids. But anyway, <laughs> this magic trick leads us into week two of our series called Confessions of a Pastor. And over these four weeks, I'm sharing with you some confessions that I have about myself. Uh, last week, I started and I said, hey, I am normal, that I, I'm not some super pastor, I'm not a super Christian. And many of you walked out and said, that was terrible. I mean, can you give us a little something more? That was very disappointing. That was soft. And I get it. It was. But that really was the foundation for these next three weeks and, and what I want to share with you. Because I really believe these confessions that you're going to hear over the next three weeks are, are probably in a place that some of you are or many of you are in your own life. And so I'm just going to go ahead and just tell you what this confession is. Confession number two is this. I have doubts. I have doubts. I know many of you think as a pastor that we're supposed to know it all, right? That we've got it all figured out, that we understand the Bible and Scripture and God and Jesus and like we are just fully sold out to everything that is there but I can tell you that there are parts of scripture there are parts of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and and things we know about the Bible that I have questions about the things that I have doubts about you know I, I look at the Bible and I say it, it says this here and then science says this which one is it or, or the questions that I know that many of you ask. I mean, how, how does a loving God let these terrible things happen? Why, why do bad things happen to, to good people? people why, why, why would Jesus, why would he say that? Look, like many of you, I have doubts. And I struggle with those doubts, even with the faith that I have. And the question is, how do you deal with something like those doubts when those doubts are, are present? Well, over the next few moments, I want to talk about doubts. I'm going to talk about faith because faith is an important part of this doubt equation. And I want to talk about kind of the ways that I have been able to deal with any of the doubts that I may have. But we need to begin by understanding every single one of us, we have doubts. My, uh, my favorite college team is Wake Forest, uh, the Wake Forest University Demon Deacons, which I know doesn't go together, but 
It's a long story. You can go back and read about it. But, um, but I went to school there. Uh, I've been a fan of the deacons since I was uh, nine years old. And, uh, and I have doubts that they will ever win the NCAA basketball championship. Now, they've had a couple years, they've had some really, really good teams where they were picked to win it all, and they didn't, didn't even get to, the, well, one year they got to the Final Four, way, like, 75 years ago. But um, that tells you, I have a ton of doubts that they'll ever win. Parents, some of you have doubts that your kids will ever move out of the house, okay? <laughs> Maybe you're a student, you take organic chemistry, you have doubts that you're going to pass that class. Look, every one of us have doubts. We have doubts about teams, we have doubts about kids. We have doubts about school. We have doubts about ourselves. All of us carry doubts in our lives. But what are these doubts? Well, here's what I would tell you doubts are. Doubts are judgments our mind makes. When we fully don't know something, when we don't know the, 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 the full facts, we don't have certainty, we make judgments. And so when I say, hey, I've got a $20 bill in my pocket and you don't see that $20 bill, you're making a judgment about me. You're making a judgment about whether that is true or not. And that's what we do. We go through our life. When we don't have certainty, we make judgment calls. And so much of that is connected to faith and, of course, to doubts. We live by faith or we live by, by doubts. But honestly, none of us want to do that, do we? We don't really want to live by faith. We don't really want to live by doubts. We, we want certainty. We, we want proof. We want to be able to say, hey, I now see that $20 bill, and I, I know that is true. I have certain that, that this is true, that, that faith doesn't need to be there anymore, and that doubts don't need to be there anymore either. We want that truth in front of us. And so when it comes to something like God, Jesus, Scripture, the Holy Spirit, guess what? We don't really want to have to live by faith. We don't really want to have to live by doubts. We, we want certainty. But some of us have been taught in our life, because we grew up in a Christian home, we've been taught you can't doubt. In fact, if you have doubts about Jesus, about the Bible, if you have doubts there, then you're not really trying to follow Jesus. In fact, maybe for some of us, we were called sinners because we had these doubts. And then for others of us, we grew up in homes that said, hey, your job is to doubt everything. You're always supposed to ask questions. You're always supposed to be cynical. You're always supposed to be skeptical. And so you just, you live a life full of doubts. But here's the problem with that. You never actually seek the answers. So is, is both of these, are they, are they right? Are they wrong? What's the deal here? Well, again, we're going to take our time kind of looking at these two things, faith and doubts. And I believe how they actually connect with each other. But let's talk about Jesus for a moment, because um, most scholars, secular scholars, would agree with biblical scholars that Jesus was real. That, that Jesus was a man, that he was a human, that he lived 2,000 years ago, that, um, that he was a, a good teacher, that he was a, a good leader, that people followed him. But, but the questions began to change, the answers changed when it comes to the miracles, right? Like, he really couldn't do those things. Nobody can do that. Or, or more specifically, when it comes to something like the resurrection. No dead man has ever come back to life. I mean, this is just some story that's been made up, and, and it's just used to dupe you know, billions of people over the last 2,000 years. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to spend some time looking at an event that happened around the resurrection that I, we see faith and doubts at play together and how this sort of played out. 
We're going to be in John chapter 20 this morning. John chapter 20, starting with verse 24, here's what it says. It says, One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, We have seen the Lord. Now, let me give you a little context before this. Uh, Jesus has been crucified on Friday. He's resurrected on Sunday morning or at some point in there. Um, the, the ladies go to put spices around his body at the tomb, and they get to the tomb, and, and stones rolled away. It's wide open. They go in. There's no Jesus. And so they're kind of trying to figure this out. They walk out, and they, one of them actually sees Jesus, has a conversation with Jesus, goes and tells the disciples, hey, we've seen Jesus. He's alive. The disciples run to the tomb to go check this out. There's no body there. Jesus isn't there. They don't meet Jesus on the way. They're like, what's going on? They're kind of perplexed. I'm like, who did these ladies really see? Is this a hoax that somebody's playing on us? Has his body been stolen? You know, what's happening here? And so they find themselves in this upper room. There's just 10 of them at the time. Judas is no longer with the group. Some of you know that story. And Thomas isn't there at this moment. They're in this room. The doors are locked. Now, part of it is they're trying to figure out what's happening. But another part is they're afraid. They're afraid the authorities are going to come for them just like they did for Jesus, pull them away and actually kill them too. So there's this fear that's there. But in this setting, Jesus shows up. And he didn't come through the door. I don't think he came through the wall. He just shows up in front of them. He's like, guys, look, I'm alive again. And they're like, wow, he is. He's alive. This is incredible. I mean, we, we fully believe. Yet Thomas isn't there when this happens. Thomas doesn't get to experience this. He shows up later. And he shows up, and they tell him they see Jesus. Look at the rest of verse 25. Thomas says, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound on his side. Now, I want you to think about Thomas for a second. Thomas is one of the 12 disciples Jesus chooses to follow him. He has spent the last three-plus years of his life with Jesus. He's traveled with Jesus. He's eaten many meals with Jesus. He's, he's walked with Jesus. He's hung out with Jesus. I mean, probably very few days was he separate from Jesus. He, he watched Jesus do these incredible miracles. He heard Jesus' teachings. He heard Jesus talk about, hey, someday I'm going to die and I'm going to come back to life. He hears all of this. And yet, what does Thomas say? Thomas says, I need proof. Like, I still need certainty to hear that Jesus is alive again. In fact, he's so adamant about this. In the Greek, he uses a double negative. I mean, he, he's like, I, I'm not going to believe fully until I actually see Jesus, until I can touch his hands, so I can touch his side, so I can see him again. I hear what you're saying, but, but I'm not quite sure. Look at verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Here we are, eight days later. We find the disciples, they're indoors again, the doors are locked again. They saw Jesus a week prior, but they're still trying to figure things out, and they're still afraid of these authorities. They're going to come and grab them and take them away. But if you look there, Jesus shows up in that room, and Matthew's very adamant here. The doors were locked. There was no way anybody was coming in. He just shows up, and the first thing he says is, peace be with you. He's like, hey, guess what? You don't need to fear anymore 
And then he looks over at Thomas in verse 27. He says, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Jesus says to Thomas, hey, Thomas. Like he turns to Thomas. Hey, check out my hands. You see these wounds. Check out my side. Why don't you touch it? You can see that this is real, that I am here in front of you. The interesting part is Jesus knows the conditions that Thomas set forth the week before. Thomas said, I want to see it. I want to feel it. Jesus comes right to him. He's like, hey, Thomas, those things that you were asking last week when I wasn't here, guess what? I know you asked that question, and I want you to experience this for yourself. He's like, Thomas, will this do for you? Thomas asked for proof, right? He, he wants certainty in his life. He, he had faith, but he wasn't certain. He had doubts, but, but he, he wasn't certain. He wanted proof. And what does Jesus do? Jesus gives him that proof. And here's how Thomas responded in verse 28. He says, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. He responds by saying, I now believe. I have proof. I can see you, Jesus. I can hear you, Jesus. I can feel you, Jesus. Now I am certain that you are who you said you were. And so if we think about this, both Thomas's faith and his doubt <laughs> kind of destroyed in that moment, aren't they? That, that certainty is there. That doubting Thomas, this is actually where we get that term, that phrase doubting Thomas is from this guy. That doubting Thomas doesn't exist anymore. If you think about this experience that Thomas has with, with Jesus, and that's really great for Thomas, isn't it? <laughs> Where does that leave us? Because, because we don't have Jesus standing right here in front of us. We, we don't have Jesus right here talking to us face to face. We, we don't have the ability to touch Jesus. We, we don't have the ability to, to feel that, that wound in his side. Where does this leave us when it comes to faith and when it comes to doubts? Because I'm afraid they're still there. And when that proof is not standing in front of us, what are we supposed to do? Well, here's what I want to do this morning. First, I want to share with you three sort of characteristics, ideas that we can, can, can understand uh, about us. And then I want to give you three steps that I take that help me when those doubts are, are present. Here's the first thing we have to realize. We have to realize that doubts are human. Doubts are human. Uh, we live in a very educated area of the country, uh, Fairfax County. If you look at the numbers, about 60, 68.5% of us have an associate degree or higher. 31% uh, of the people who live in Fairfax County have a master's degree or higher. Um, so it's, it's pretty impressive when you think about the, the brain power that's here. But even with all the brain power, we have mental limitations. And for some of you, those limitations are pretty big because you're analytical, right? Because so many people who live here and who work here, you're, you're analysts. This is what you do. And, and so in your mind, it's like we need research and we need data. Like I, there's, there's no gray area. It's either black or it's white. There's nothing in the middle. And so we kind of get stuck in, in that place. Well, when we're in that place, that means that there's no doubt that can be allowed. You either know or you don't. Some of us, again, we grew up in Christian homes that said you cannot have doubts. You, you have to have faith. Faith is it. Faith is all you can live by. You can't have those doubts. Those two can't work together. Again, there cannot be any gray area. It's black or, or white. But I want to, to remind us that doubts are human. 
And I'm not saying that just because there are times I have doubts. I'm saying that because we find that in Scripture over and over again. Many of the people who followed Jesus, guess what? They had doubts about who he was. Thomas was one of them. But, but if you look at the disciples, you actually find there probably were more that had these doubts too. In Matthew 28, we read a part of this last week. Jesus, right before he gives us this command, right? We call it the Great Commission. You know, he's getting ready to say, hey, go into the world and tell people my story. Right before that, in Matthew 28, verse 17, here's what it says. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Here's a group of people that spent three plus years with Jesus. Again, almost every single day, they saw incredible things you and I will never see. And yet there was still doubt present. Even beyond that, many people who God called to do certain things in Scripture, you ever look back at their lives? It's full of doubt. Like over and over and over again, we find these people that are having doubts about what God's called them to do. And again, here's the crazy part. God's right there in front of them. God's having a conversation with them, and yet they still struggle. Moses, Abraham, Gideon, David, again, the disciples. Doubts, 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 doubts. Yet even in those doubts, they still did what God called them to do. There was still that faith that was there and what God had asked them to do. One of the first things I think we need to realize is that doubts are human. I'll be honest with you, I think doubts are okay. But here's the next piece to this. We also have to realize that everyone lives by faith. Every single one of us lives by faith. Let's say at work, your, your job is to oversee a team and you go to that team and you say, hey, here's what I need you to do. If you're a terrible manager, you look over their shoulders and watch them do everything, okay? That's called micromanaging. That's not healthy for anybody. Um, but the reality is if you're going to do this well, you tell your team, this is what I need you to do. Here's my expectations. At that point, you have faith in them that they're going to get that work done, right? You're not there over their shoulders all the time. You're telling them to do it. You have faith they're going to get it done. Driving. You got to have faith, especially living in a place like this. Uh, when you're driving on 495, you have faith that the other cars aren't going to come into your lane. Uh, you have faith that they're going to follow the rules of, of the road. You have faith that they're not going to stop traffic right in the middle and start doing donuts all around right on 495 in the middle of the day, right? Like we have this faith when we drive that these things aren't going to happen. We have faith in other drivers. We have a lot of military families here at The Journey. We love it because you guys, man, you jump in and you help and you're a big, huge part of this church. But then you move, right? And it's sad for us. Um, many uh, of you, you've talked to me about the horror stories of uh, PCSing. Um, that uh, you're like, man, we got to have faith in the military. <laughs> they got to help us find a place to live and they're going to pack up our stuff. And, you know, we have faith that it's going to uh, get to where it's supposed to be and it's going to get there within, you know, a reasonable time, not two years later. And we have faith it's not going to be broken. I mean, you live by a lot of faith when you, when you move, but that's faith. If you're an atheist, if you're an agnostic, and I know we have some that are part of the journey, and first I want to say thank you. Thank you for taking the time in your life to kind of go on the spiritual journey. We're here to help you on that spiritual journey. But, but for you, it's the same thing. You're living your life by faith. Now, your faith says, hey, we started a dirt. We, we end this dirt. That's it. There's nothing more. But guess what? That's faith. And every single one of us, every single day, we live by faith. See, doubts are human, but faith is a part of who we are, too. Which then leads me to this third realization. 
there are times where I have to give 100% commitment even when I don't have 100% certainty. There are times I have to have 100% commitment even when I don't have 100% certainty. Uh, Kara and I have a spot we like to go to. Um, we've only been a, a few times, but um, it's just a great way for us to get away, decompress, to get away from our kids, get away from you, you know, get away from people, that kind of thing. Sorry. I didn't mean that in a bad way. But anyway, it's kind of nice to, to get a break from just have the two of us. But we like to go down to Miami Beach, and maybe some of you have gone down there before. For us, it's like we get the tropical feel without the tropical price, right? And uh, so we'll fly down there because, you know, nobody wants to be in the car for 14 hours and waste a couple of your days. Uh, so we, we'll fly down, and uh, the last time we went, we were flying into Miami Airport, and we're getting ready to land, we're descending, everybody's buckled in, everybody's ready to go. Uh, you know, you can already feel the ocean breezes in your face and the, the sand underneath your, your toes. And so, I mean, we're, <laughs> the, the, the wheels are down, we're descending, we're a few hundred feet from landing. I mean, the plane's, you know, doing that little the thing that it does where it pops up a little bit so you can hit those back tires. Next thing you know, the pilot hits like the turbo boosters. And so instead of hitting the ground, man, we shot right back up into the air. Now, if you've ever experienced that before, there's like a thousand to a million different scenarios going on in your mind, right? And not one of them is good. There's not one of them that's like the positive thing. You're like, what just happened? What is going on here? Are we getting ready to be that plane that travels around for five hours getting rid of all the fuel because we just lost two tires and we're going to have to land, right? You're thinking all of these things. But here's the deal. In a moment like that, I have zero control, right? I have to be 100% committed to those pilots. I, I can't go up to the cockpit door like, hey, um, do you mind if I jump in here? I mean... <laughs> I got some doubts right now that you guys don't know what you're doing, that, you know, my faith is kind of is hurting. And I know I've never flown before, but it'll be okay because I don't trust you at all. No, even in that moment when you don't know what's happening, you have 100% commitment. You're wholly committed to those pilots, even though you're not 100% certain. And no, they never told us what happened. And that's probably a good thing because it's probably terrible. But anyway. Some people will say, I need 100% certainty before I can be 100% committed to Jesus. Let me ask you this question. Do you need 100% certainty for your life? Because if you do, you will never do anything. If you need 100% certainty, you will never move. You will never travel. You would never work. You would never drive. You never go on a date. You would never marry. You would never have kids. You would never have any relationship. You would never do anything. If you said, I need 100% certainty for my life, you would never do anything in your life. And of course, you would never follow Jesus either. Why? Because every single one of those, they require something. They require faith. And when we look at our lives, everything about our lives, it requires faith. Even though we may not be 100% certain, if you think about your life, you're 100% committed. As soon as you wake up to the time you go to bed at night, it requires faith. And we live our lives that way. And that's why I find it's interesting what Jesus says in verse 29 of John 20. He says, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Jesus says, there are going to be people who are going to follow me who will never see me. 
There are going to be people who are going to follow me that will never put their, their hands on me. They'll never hear my voice. They'll never see these wounds. And yet they're going to be 100% committed even if, even if they're not 100% certain. And I go back and I look at something like the resurrection of Jesus, and that is all about faith, and it's all about doubt, and kind of bringing these things together. Now, if we have these realizations, then how do we kind of deal with that? Now, how, do we, how do we deal with maybe the doubt that, that lingers? Well, I'm going to give you, again, three things that I find are helpful to me when those doubts are, are present. The first one is, if you have doubts, ask more questions and seek more answers. Ask more questions, seek more answers. Our kids, we've said this before, uh, try to teach them how to be critical thinkers. Um, try to teach some adults how to be critical thinkers. Uh, we will see something on the news. We'll read something on social media. You know, our kids will come to us like, oh, look at this. This has got to be true, right? And it's, it's like, well, hold up a second. It's kind of fresh news. Let's, let's kind of think about this a little bit. Let's, let's ask some questions. Let, let them kind of parse through some of the stuff that's here and, and bring it all together. Because this might not be fully true. Now, maybe it is. But just because somebody posted it, just because we saw it on the news or saw it on social media, doesn't mean it's true. Are, are you taking the time to ask questions? But not only are you asking questions, are you seeking out the answers to those questions too? Because too many times we just jump to the question part. We just jump to the doubts, and we never take the time to answer the questions that are there. Here's what I find. When I ask questions, when those doubts are present, and I take the time to seek those answers, which doesn't mean I'm going to find them as soon as I look for something. Again, it may take time. I have to be patient with myself. I have to look for those answers. Every time I do that, you know what happens to my faith? It always gets stronger. I, my faith never gets weaker when I take the time to ask those questions and, and to seek those answers. It always gets stronger because I may not have this right in front of me, but I still have that faith that I hold on to. I, I may not be 100% certain, but I can still be 100% committed. But take the time to ask those questions and to seek those answers. The second thing that has helped me is that if you have doubts about Jesus, look around you. Uh, Mr. Rogers famously once said, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. If I understand the story correctly, he and his mom came up on an accident. He's focused on the accident, and he's trying to figure it all out. And his mom says, hey, you know, that's not great that happened. But he said, are you look she said, are you looking for the good here? Are you looking for the people that are helpers, that are, that are doing something good? Too many times in our life, we go right to the bad, right? And I think we're being conditioned to think this way these days, that we go to the bad, we look at the bad, we look at the terrible. And I'll be honest, there are terrible things happening in our world. Every week, it seems like we're still coming back to these same things that are happening over and over again. Racism and war, and it's, just, it's, it's all around us. And I'm not saying those things aren't terrible, they are. But are we looking for the good too? Are, are we focused on things that, that are good in life? Because too many times we can be focused on the bad and we can miss the good that's there. The people that are helping, the people that are making a difference, the people that are changing the way we kind of live our life and being focused on those things that are good in life. Because here's what we do when something bad happens in our life. One of the first things that we do is we blame God. 
why do so many people fall away from following Jesus? And why do so many people say they don't believe in God anymore? I believe it's because they have these doubts because they put this blame on God without looking at the good that's there. Now, I know it may be hard to find it in the midst of this, this, this tough, terrible, maybe even tragedy in your life. But over time, if we can stay focused on Jesus, man, we can see the good. I've said this before, when I watch people who say they're followers of Jesus and they truly are followers of Jesus, I watch them in those tough times in their life because they're usually the ones who make it through. That doesn't mean they've forgotten, doesn't mean that that's, that pain's still not there, but they're the ones who, who make it through. They're, they're the ones who are, are, are focused on Jesus and, and because of that, they're strengthened in those hard times. Their lives are different in those hard times. They're still loving people unconditionally in those hard times. Why? Because I believe their focus is in the right place. And the people who struggle when tough times hit, when tragedies come about in their life, I find so often they're the ones, maybe they said they followed Jesus, but they really didn't, or, or they don't follow Jesus at all. And, and that bitterness and that anger, it's just always there. If you have doubts about Jesus, look around you. Because I can promise you, you'll find Jesus in your life. You'll find that strength that you need. You, you, you'll, you'll find that, maybe that joy that's been missing. And again, I know this is hard because we like to go to the, the bad. We like to go to the negative. Look for good. Look for Jesus in that. Because when I have doubts, I find that's helpful to me. But then lastly, I would say, if you don't have doubts, can you please be patient with those who do? Because I'm afraid in the Christian world, when somebody says, hey, I have doubts here, too many times Christians will pile on. And, and once somebody gets piled on, they don't want anything to do with faith anymore. They'll, they'll walk fully away from Jesus, even if they were beginning to, to take their first steps towards Jesus. I, um, I love what... Um, Jude says, this is a book we don't talk a whole lot about. There's not even a chapters in Jude. It's just verses. It's got 25 verses. And in verse 22, it says, be merciful to those who doubt. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you say, hey, my faith is strong and I don't have any doubts, how are you treating those who say they do? I want to take you back to the Bible and a reminder that Jesus loved doubters unconditionally. The God loved doubters unconditionally. We can go back to Moses, Abraham, David, all these people that, that had these doubts, but God still loved them. That Jesus did, still said, hey, I still want you to follow me, even though those doubts are there. Are we being merciful? Or are we showing angst and indignation? Are we forgetting what it looks like to unconditionally love someone who may have doubts in, in their life? Because if God can be patient with people that he's called, if Jesus can be patient with his disciples who are following him, then those of us who are followers of Jesus and say we follow Jesus, we have to show mercy and we have to be patient for those who may have doubts in their life too. We do this through our actions. We, we do this through, through walking alongside this, this individual as, as they have these doubts. We, we do this by not attempting to answer all their doubts. They say, I have a doubt about this. Our job is not to say, well, let me tell you why that's wrong. 
Our job is to say, hey, that's, that's a great question. Let's kind of walk along this journey together. Ask the questions. Do the research. Find those answers. And here's what I'll tell you. If we're patient and we show mercy, God will show that certainty or God will show or strengthen that faith in their lives. Be patient with those who doubt. Look, I, I, I still have doubts. I do. There's still questions that I have that I don't fully understand. And you could come to me like, let me, let me get those doubts right. Here's the deal. I, I don't have that $20 bill in front of me, right? Now, like Thomas, I don't have Jesus right here in front of me answering all those questions, taking that doubt away, being able to touch Jesus and hear Jesus. I, I don't have that. But I do still have my faith. And even when there are doubts that are present, when I take the time to, to invest in that connection and that relationship with Christ, my faith strengthens. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I definitely have certainties. I, I definitely believe there is truth. But there are still doubts that are present. But I'm taking the time to figure that out in my life. And I hope you do too. $20 bill may not be in front of us. Jesus may not be standing here. But I hope your faith continues to grow even when those doubts are present. And remember that God still loves us even as we walk this journey together. Let's pray. God, we come to you today uh, humbly. Um, we may have grown up in an environment that said doubts are wrong and are sin. God, I pray that we're not that church. I pray that we're not that people. I pray that in, our, um, in this faith that we do have and the doubts that may be there, God, that we are seeking out those answers, that, that we don't give up on those questions we have, that, that we don't just keep asking all these questions, but that we we move forward because, God, in Scripture, in the Bible, we see Jesus loved unconditionally those with doubts. And, God, you continued to put up with those who continued to doubt you, even though they were having conversations with you. You continued to be with them, and you used them for amazing things, and, and their faith grew. God, that's my prayer today, that our faith would grow even when those doubts are present. I pray that you would lead us on this journey with you, with each other, as we go through life. In Jesus' name, amen.